Today's scripture reading will be coming from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This isn't a very popular passage. The word submit, in Greek it's hupotasa, which means to voluntarily put oneself under. It's not something that anyone actually wants to do. But I think a lot of times for wives, it especially sits in a really uncomfortable way. Why should he be the head? Isn't she just as smart, just as talented, just as capable? Probably. That very often is true. But that's not actually the point there. You see, the point, as Paul makes it here, is a point that's about God's design. And the reality is when God first created everything, when he made male and female equally in his image, it was his intention that we as husbands should lead. That we should lead our family. And if we find ourselves in a position where we are unwilling to submit to the Lord, to submit to what God says, to what he teaches, to try to wave it away and make it outdated or cultural or a verse that we just conveniently don't apply, well, if that's our attitude towards God, then there's no way we're ever going to be successful with this when it comes to our marriages. If we can't submit to what God says, how on earth could we ever submit to a spouse? Though, of course, guys, we contribute to the problem by not being leaders worth following. All that we've looked at so far, what we've looked at about God's design in terms of how he first created us and what he wants for our lives and relationships, what we've looked at in terms of how Jesus himself as the Son of Man lived that out perfectly, that he showed us what it looked like to be a man in God's image. The example that Jesus' apostles learned from him and then passed on to those of us who would follow. All of that is meant not just so that we know it, but so that it changes us. We submit to Christ, and that gets our lives, that gets our relationships, that gets our masculinity in line with him. And part of why a lot of women will resist this idea of submission is because too many men take advantage of it. We like to use verses like this to try to make our wives do what we want to do because I'm the man, the man's the head. But if Jesus is our example, if Jesus is the ultimate real man and he was in the form of God, yet didn't use it for his own advantage, if Jesus is God's son, yet he took the form of a servant and sacrificed for the good of others, then that's not a reading of Ephesians 5, 22-24 in church followed by, Did you hear that? That's not the example 
that Jesus has set for us. That's not how God created our marriages to be. It's not how Jesus or even his apostles, who have their own share of problems with learning to submit, with learning to be servants. But that's not where Jesus led them to operate. It's not enough for us to just say, well, it's God's will that the men should lead. We've got to work with Christ to become the kind of men that are worth following. Because listen to what Paul says right after that. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 25, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Yes, Paul said, wives, submit to your husband. But did you notice that the Spirit inspired him to say three times as much about how husbands should love their wives? He had to spend that amount of time on it because what he's saying here is hard. We are called to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And you know how much that is? Christ died for the church. Christ's perfect life, given his holiness, sanctifies, it sets apart the church. So, real men, self-sacrificial, love their wives. You see, if you're really going to live life the way God intended you to, if you're really going to follow Jesus, love can't just be a feeling. It's not just something that's contingent as long as her looks hold out, or dinner's on the table, or all the housework you think is done is done. Loving like Jesus, being a real man like God created you to be, means loving as a choice. It is a decision that you make each and every day, fellas. It is an action that you take towards her. And sometimes when we look at the example of Jesus as what it means to love, that's going to mean that it is your job to do for her those things that she can't do for herself. If you are going to be a husband, that means not a parent, not a father, not a supervisor. It means you don't stand there and scold her because she hasn't measured up to your standard, that means you roll up your sleeves and meet her where she is. Amen. And protect. And help. And lead. And guide. Now you might think that that's not fair. You've already got enough on your plate. You spend hours at a high-stress job. You shouldn't have to come home and unload the dishwasher. And you know what? 
that might not be fair, but aren't you glad that when Jesus was faced with the cross, he didn't focus on how unfair it was that he had to go there for you? So if Jesus is willing to do hard things for our good, if Jesus is willing to meet us where we are and do something that's not fair, can we man up enough and do the same for our wives? Can we love them like Jesus? That's the standard. And it's hard. Stop the whips. It takes commitment. It takes conviction. It takes work. You have to choose to be a real man. But Jesus helps. That's the other part of this verse, too. You don't have to do it on your own because he's washing. Because you're going to mess up. And he's going to help with that. He's sanctifying. He's setting you apart. He's helping the little things you do mean more. He's helping you get strength to do bigger things than you would ever think you could do because he's empowering. Jesus will help you love your wife like your own body. He shows you what that looks like, for one thing, in his own example. But then he's going to give you the motivation to do it, the courage to do it. He's going to give his spirit to give you the power to be able to do it. And really getting to work with him, and that means that we nourish her, we cherish her, we hold fast to her. And when we do, God's design is such that that's when blessing follows. Now, part of that blessing is physical intimacy, as this text describes it, and becoming of one flesh. But it's not even just physical. There's an emotional, a relational closeness, a true sense of partnership, true joy that comes into our relationships just like God intended. When we let the way Jesus loves teach us how to love. But sisters, you have a part too. And some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say. But it's scripture, so you're going to need to hear it. We need your respect. Did you catch that where Paul said it? Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now that's important, because here's what I see in a lot of our relationships. We tend to expect unconditional love. Well, my husband should love me. It shouldn't matter how I look or what I do. He should love me. But respect is earned. He's got to earn my respect. If he does some stuff that I think is worthy of respect, then I'll show him some respect. But right now, he doesn't give me any reason to respect him. But that is wrong. That is against Scripture. You cannot demand love and withhold respect and expect to have the kind of marriage that God wants for you. Got to be both. Love and respect. God created us differently. He made us of equal value. We're both in his image. But our marriage is supposed to be a partnership. The husband supplying the love that the wife craves. The wife supplying the husband with the respect that he needs. A helper fit for him. That's how God created him, right? 
You see, there's a Christian psychiatrist named Emerson Egriches that actually wrote this book, Love and Respect, based on this passage. And what he's observed in his years of counseling Christian couples is that there's this thing that he calls the energizing cycle. That whenever a husband loves his wife, when he acts in a loving way, that makes her more inclined to show respect to him. And the more respectful she is, the more she expresses how much she appreciates him and just values him and looks up to him, how strong she thinks he is, how good looking she thinks he is. Just all that stuff that men just crave to hear, it makes him even more loving. And the more love he pours into her, the more attention and understanding and listening he does, the more respectful she is. And that relationship gets stronger and stronger. Except for when that's not what we do. And then we do what Dr. Everett is referred to as the crazy cycle. And the crazy cycle is when he does something unloved. When he says he's going to do something and then he doesn't. When he's late from the office all the time. When he forgets an important date. So she feels that. That hurts. But then she copes with that hurt by saying something disrespectful. She nags him. She pokes at him. She prods him. And instead of convicting him, cutting his heart, making him come close to her, that makes him defensive, that makes him resentful. So he starts to say more unloving things. And the more unloving he is, the more disrespectful she gets. So without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. And round and round it goes. And the relationship suffers. So if we want to experience God's design for our relationships, we have to break the cycle. We can't keep staking out our corners and focusing on my needs and what's fair and what I want and we're going to stand there and wait till you prove to me you love me or prove to me you respect me. And guys, if you're going to love like Jesus, I hate to break it to you, but a lot of times you're going to have to make it personal. It's not going to be fair. There's going to be times where, cover your ears, lady, she's wrong. She is actually going to be in the wrong sometimes. And you're going to need to go talk personally. You're going to need to meet her where she is. And love her anyway. Because you're a man. Because that's the example Jesus has set for you. You are going to trust that if you love the way God created you to love, if you love the way God has loved you, that that love's going to change things. You're not going to have a guarantee. She's still going to be free to react however she wants to react, but you trust that if you do things like Jesus, it will make a difference. Because Jesus trusted that if he did God's will, it would make a difference. And that's going to be your challenge as husbands. That's what it looks like to be a real man in your marriage, but wives, even if he doesn't, that's not an excuse. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So maybe he's not ready to live up to the example that Jesus has set. You can make a difference too. You can show them what it looks like. You can take that mantle on for a season and be the spiritually strong one to help him grow into who God wants him to be. This isn't how the world operates. But unlike the world, it actually works. 
God can change our marriages. And he doesn't stop there. Because as Paul continues in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is another way where we see being a man according to the one who created men is very different than what we see on TV or we see around us in the world because the world says being a man is no one tells you what to do. Once you get into those teen years, once you get in your 20s, you get to make your own decision. Somebody says something you don't like, you hit them with a sarcastic comeback. And that might be the way the world defines being a man, but that's not being a Christian man. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You want to be a real man? It's not by refusing to do what you're told. It's not by screaming for your way. You know who screams to get their way? Babies. Babies scream to get their way. So you're not a man if you throw a temper tantrum. You're a bigger, violent Baby, honor your father and mother was one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, Paul says it was the first of those commandments that had a promise attached to it that'll go well with you in the land. Honor your father and mother is how Jesus as God's son lived. In Luke 2, when he was 12 years old, we're specifically told that he was submissive to his earthly parents. As an adult, in John 2, when his mom came to him because a wedding that they were guests at was running out of wine and it would be humiliating for everybody and, and she wanted him to do something about it. So he did, responsive to his mom. He was literally suffocating to death on the cross and he made sure he had somebody to look out for his mother as he was drawing his dying breath. You want to be a real man, you honor your parents. But there's an important caveat here because Paul says obey them in the Lord, because the sad reality for many of us is sometimes we have parents that set us examples that we shouldn't follow. And that's the other part of what Paul wrote here. Because he says that real men are going to lead their children to Jesus. And there's something that we need to notice about this verse. Because after he tells children to obey their parents, in verse 4, he doesn't say, parents, he says, fathers, fathers do not provoke your children. He specifically says, fathers, because we have that kind of impact. The admonition not to provoke is because the way God has made us, he has given us the strength that we can lift up or we can harm. He has given us a presence that when we are there, it communicates value and self-worth. And when we're not, it communicates something else. How many of us have that experience where your dad just had to give you a look and that was enough? You know that look. 
So it kills me. I want all of you to hear this because you say it a lot and it kills me. Every time I hear an older dad say, well, kids just don't listen to me. Sometimes they need somebody else to say it. They just don't care what their parents think. Yes, we Stop saying it. I'm going to start calling on it every time you say it. It is not true. Your children care what you think. They care what you say. They care where you are and what you do. The challenge for us is what we say and how we say it. Because being a father is more than being a sperm donor. Being a father is more than claiming somebody as a dependent on your tax return. If we are going to be real men as God designed it, if we're going to be fathers God created us to be, we must bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That has always been the case from the beginning of time. Go throughout the Old Testament and you will see example after example of God charging the fathers with making sure their children, making sure their families know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord. You get in the New Testament and this is just one of the many passages where you see that pattern continue. God has made us responsible to teach and to train our families to serve him. So any time we have a situation where a poor, harried mother is having to get all the children to worship by herself because dad doesn't do church, that's not God's design. That's not the way God meant for it to be for those children, for those parents. We're meant to be a spiritual present. And if we go against God's design, it's going to have bad results. But coming to church is just part of it. Because whenever it's described as the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that tells us that it's more. Because you can come to church every Sunday, but if you sit there and refuse to participate, if your lips don't even bother to move while everybody else is singing, you're instructing your children about something. You're giving them a real strong sense about how important the Lord is to you. But I don't think it's what the Spirit had in mind when he was inspiring Paul here. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. What do we as fathers personally tell our children about prayer? And what do they learn from how they hear us pray? How are we training them to confess wrong? To ask for forgiveness? To serve others? To truly love God? If you want an example of what that looks like, think back to about 40 minutes ago. See a father with tears in his eyes describing how much he loves Jesus with his son next to him? 
see a father admit, I'm nervous about doing this. I've never done this before. But doing it anyway, because he wants to love and serve Jesus? There are real men all around us. Train them. Instruct them. Show them in the way of the Lord. God gave us that work as fathers. So if you struggle, consider maybe the issue isn't so much that your kids don't listen. Maybe it's that they do. Maybe they're hearing what you focus on when you get in the car after that worship service. Maybe they're hearing what you're talking about around the dining room table throughout the week. Maybe it's not that they don't listen to what you say is important. Maybe it's they actually hear what is important. Maybe if we bring that to Jesus. Maybe if we ask for his help in that. Maybe if we let his blood cleanse those ways we're all falling short. Maybe if we let his spirit lead us into real, vibrant life in him. Maybe we'll be better prepared to pass that on to our kids. The way God intended. Because being a man of God, being a real man, is more than just what we do on Sunday. That's part of it. But it's also every day. It's every relationship, which is what Paul says next. In Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And start the threat knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Slavery was really common in Paul's day. So bond servants like this would have been the part of many Roman households. That's why Paul included that here, alongside husbands and wives, parents and children. And slavery, while common, being Paul's reason for addressing it, appreciate that what Paul taught here was not common. What he describes here for the relationship between these bond servants and masters in Christ is not the typical relationship. So what he tells us through that is that real men work for Jesus 24-7. We can't come to church and say how much we love Jesus on Sunday but then be that person in the office that is always late, that is always doing the minimum, that avoids the most difficult tasks, leaves them for somebody else to have to do. Because if Jesus is teaching us how to be real men, then he's who we're really working for. He's the reason we get into the cab of that truck when we walk into that office or do whatever it is we do each day. He's the one that will reward us if we're doing God's work from the heart. You do realize that, right? I feel like I say it all the time, but I'm still not sure if we get it yet. You don't have to be a preacher to work for Jesus. When you're 
honest. When you're committed to excellence, you always try to do your best. You're always looking for ways to grow and improve. When you're compassionate, when you're the person that notices the other people around you and you care about them, when you're somebody that's creative, expressing that way that you were made in the image of God and created everything, when you're somebody that's a problem solver, other people know that they can come to you and you will figure things out and you will help. And when you do all of that in Jesus' name, when a coworker compliments you and the first words out of your mouth are praise God, when somebody's struggling and you are brave enough, you are bold enough to say, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you right now? When all of that is what you are doing, you are working for Jesus. But if you have a reputation for dishonesty, if you're the person that doesn't mind taking shortcuts, that does things that might be legal, but it doesn't look right, if you're somebody that's lazy, that's obstinate and difficult. Nobody ever wants to ask you for anything. If coworkers dread talking to you, if other people see you as somebody that's arrogant or self-centered or just opportunistic, you may come to church on Sunday, but you're not following Jesus. And the way Paul friends it, the same is true if you're the boss. Masters back then had all the power in the Roman world. Servants had no rights. They lived or died by what their master thought. So what Paul teaches here was truly revolutionary because Paul says they need to do good to their servants. They're not just there for you to squeeze dry and then toss away when you're done with them. You do good for your servants and you stop threatening. Because when you look at the world, it relies on force. If you want something done, you make people do it. We need to write a policy about this. We need to give a mandate about that. But if you want to be a real man, if you want to lead like Jesus, stop that. Your job is to convince. Your job is to motivate. Your job is to set an example. Your job is to inspire. Good bosses, the best bosses that we ever work for, are the ones that care about you as a person. They're the ones that don't just see you as somebody they need to get something done. They're invested in your growth. They embody the way that God worked with Adam, where he created an opportunity and gave him what he needs and then watch what he does with it and cheer him on. They embody that example of Jesus who wasn't afraid to wrap a towel around his waist and get down and wash the disciples' feet. And if you have people that work for you, that's the kind of leader that you want to be. As a worker or a boss, whatever your industry or workplace, you want to be a real man? Work for Jesus. Work with Jesus. That's what Paul shows here. Across these passages, Jesus wants to completely transform who we are as men. He wants to change our relationships. He wants to change our marriages. He wants to completely transform our family life, our workplaces. Now it's up to you. God couldn't be clearer here about what he wants, about how he'll help. Will we 
get to work. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you for your son, for his rescuing us when we were hopelessly lost, for his helping us do things that we cannot do on our own, for his loving us even though we don't deserve it. Help us, Father, to receive that love. Help all of us who have been united with him in baptism to trust that you are forgiving our sins, that your spirit does well in our hearts through faith and that he is helping us, he's bearing fruit, and just give us courage and boldness to work with him, to work with him in our relationships, especially with our wives, to work with him in our relationships with our children, to work with him in our relationships at work and just every day of our lives. Father, help our sisters to be in environments where they have got brothers leading them closer to you. And Father, for those that struggle in the absence of that, who are married to or raised by or just around men that don't know you and don't love you and are taking advantage and aren't following your word, Father, give them strength and give them boldness that even without a word in some cases, their example and their submission to you as Lord might be part of how you help those men to be one to you. And Father, for any man or woman here today that hasn't submitted to your Son as Lord, for anyone here today that needs to give their loyalty to Jesus, that needs to be united with him in baptism, we pray, Father, that you help them to act on that now, that we might just have joy in seeing a new brother or sister born into your family, that we might have joy at the beginning of another journey for a life to be completely <coughs> Thank you, Father, for giving us this time today. Convict us, encourage us, lift us up, motivate us so that as we go out into a new week, we're ready to work with you in all of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.